Soldiers, we is gathered here today in the face of the conflagration of more than just the farms that some of you fresh-faced boys come from. Of more than the highfalutin metropoli that some of you dandies live so prosperously in. Of more than the forests and the glades, the moors and the mountains, the ponds, the lakes and the rivers. But the conflagration of the world as we know it. Y'all are scared, and you should be. Rumors run through this regiment like the well-armed pistons of the dwarf-fangled machinery that will help us win this fight. And fear sits in your bellies like an excited youth running through the rag district. And I'm not here to tell you it'll all be okay, but to tell you it's up to you to decide if you're up to the task of making it okay for everyone else. Your loved ones, your hated ones, mortal kind as we know it leans on you this day. There are some of those of a more religious leaning that claim our enemy is a punishment from the gods. That we stand no chance. We'll be given no quarter. Nine hells they may as well say we should submit. But I say no crime of mortals deserves a punishment of this magnitude. So if the gods really are behind this monstrosity, this devastation, then we do not march out there today to right our wrongs but to right the ways we have been wronged. I won't ask if you're with me because you don't have a God's damned choice. Instead, I say grab your swords, adjust your helmets, and open that gate! Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Encounter This. I am your host, James the Fickle Primordial Kid, and as always, my co-host, Freeman, the patron saint of napping, will be taking us through the Tarasque on the Monster Manual, page 286. And you may have noticed that this might be our one and only episode that is not listed as plural. It is the Tarasque. Singular, right? There's only one in existence? Singular. Yeah. There's only one, or so the rumors say. Right. <clears throat> yes. Uh, so I think we can't pluralize it. I think that would be going too hard against the grain. No, there there are a couple that I think we won't be able to pluralize, and it's it's cool that this is the first one. Yes. The Tarask is... Uh, Quite legendary. <laughs> I think it's like the one that one of those things that stands out really glaringly to the first time reader of the Monster Manual, and you're like, I'm never, ever, ever going to fight this thing, am I? <laughs> Just never going to use it. But it's beautiful to behold. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true, listeners. There, true. there, yeah. there are some some chances you might get to use one. Yeah, but such as in a world-ending event where you have no chances at all to uh, succeed. Um, yeah, <laughs> but let's start off with, uh, uh, I'm actually going to directly quote the first paragraph in the monster manual here. Uh, it says the legendary Tarasque is possibly the most dreaded monster of the material plane. It is widely believed that only one of these creatures exists, though no one can predict where and when it will strike. 
So the Tarrasque is a scaly, bipedal, 50-foot-tall, 70-foot-long creature, and it weighs hundreds of tons. That's so um, large. It's so very, very large. <laughs> the uh, It has a bird of prey-like stance, and it sort of walks leaned forward and balancing itself with a tail. We're really sticking to this, like, kind of dinosaur theme <laughs> over the last little bit, eh? Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> uh, you'll notice uh, I sent the pictures already. We'll, we'll talk about those right real quick uh, in the Discord. So we got we got the um, imagery and artwork f- through all of the editions. Um, and the first two are less leaned over. Uh, not, not quite as uh, Bird of Prey-like. Yeah. But uh, I find that actually makes them look like they're not as big. Um, I feel like they look like normal sized creatures. There's no like point of reference in those ones for, you know, uh, you know, there's no humans or anything near them, but it, to me, it makes them, f- makes me feel like they're smaller. The first one kind of looks like a more kappa. A cat? What's a kappa? Uh, a kappa is a Japanese turtle with the bowl of water on its head. Um, mm. you, uh, it, they haunt okay. like lakes and you feed them cucumbers with the, the name of your loved one carved into them so they don't uh, attack and kill them. Um, but Amazing. if you spill all the water out of their head, they dry up. That's so good. <laughs> there's a homebrew creature for you. <laughs> uh, there's one in, I think, the Tomb of Beasts, if you guys are really interested. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, the 3rd edition, 4th edition, and 5th edition are all very alike in aesthetic. Um, I mean, they all share the same sort of uh, uh, pieces and bits, for sure. You're basically looking at... Uh, this enormous tail, uh, it's got jaws that can open wide enough to swallow basically any creature that, uh, but, but the largest in the world. Um, it's got two horns that jut out from its head and a thick carapace along its back. Uh, It's got two very small eyes, uh, but, uh, it relied on them very little to, uh, detect its enemies. So damaging or even removing them actually didn't hinder the creature at all. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. And um, its hunger was so so vast that, you know, it could maybe be satiated by devouring an entire town. The sheer destructiveness of this creature is, like, supposed to be so immeasurable that cultures are known to incorporate it into religious doctrine. And its sporadic and seemingly random appearance becomes the center of stories of, and legends of divine judgment and wrath, essentially. So because it's so random and it causes so much destruction, it, it must be the, the will of the gods sort of thing. Wild. Yeah, it's, a, it's monstrous. And um, all told, it is believed to sleep and slumber beneath the ground and lay dormant for decades, if not centuries. And whatever, and whenever it is awakened, it bl- obliterates everything in its path. Okay, that that adds up. I like that lore. That's um, mm-hmm. not unheard of, right? And that's basically it for five E lore itself. But I have a few bullet points organized by previous editions. Okay, as well. I like how vague the five E lore is. Yeah, it's there's not much. There's really not much. It's a it's a two page monster, but only because the image, the the actual artwork, uh, takes up a whole page. Right. So, <laughs> uh, it's, so it's really only a one page monster. Um, there's not much there. Uh, stat block's pretty sizable as well, though. Uh, so Fori specifically s- claims that it slumbers in the core of the world, so right at the center, and uh, it. It was described to move uh, a s- at speed half again that of a human, whether on land, climbing, or burrowing. 
Um, so pretty fairly fast for, especially for its size. Uh, and it was, you know, it could burrow that speed, which I thought was kind of terrifying. Um, and despite its a penchant for pure destruction, it was neither evil nor chaotic. Instead, lacked the mind or consciousness to discern any sort of morality at all. It's just a mindless destruction machine, essentially. Um, it was known for cutting through any defense and resistances of its enemies as well, um, which uh, we won't see reflected, uh, let's say, now in the, the, the uh, Staplock. I don't think uh, I've ever seen that in a 5e Staplock where, it, you know, there's something that says, oh, we just I ignore so-and-so's resistance, you know. Right. Um, uh, well, I mean, this this is the 4e lore you said, right? This is the 4e lore, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that's reflected in the Staplock there. I did not look at it, but. Still a, an interesting point. Um, it also could hinder the flight of any creature within 200 feet or 61 meters of it and uh, forcing its speed to be reduced and its altitude to drop to no higher than 20 feet, making whatever uh, enemy it is, is within its reach. Wow. Um, so how, how it does that, I'm not sure. But uh, I guess when you get near it, you're just going to start you're going to start slowing down and sinking. Well, it's probably got a gravity um, of its own. Something this maybe like. maybe it does yeah fuck I never thought of that that's that's no moon <laughs> yeah well it would, it, would, um, it would explain how it pulled things down and how things slowed down a little bit um, yeah for sure like uh, um, like it's uh, I've never been but they I they're the uh, the experience you have when you stand in front of the pyramids of uh, like Egypt or any really large stru- structure and you look out is that everything outside is moving really quickly because you're under the influence of the pyramid's gravity. Right. Hmm. So that's pretty wild. Um, this uh, the origin of this creature, uh, of course, is kept purposely vague, but. Uh, there are claims that it was created by the primordials in order to purposely and periodically create instability so that they could remake the world. And the world is simply fortunate they, they only created the one. This is where your nickname comes into play. Okay. Um, <laughs> of the very the fickle nature of these primordials were just like mm, every once in a while they feel like just resetting so they just activate their monster and and have it you know, wreak chaos and and murder and violence across the world. <laughs> wow, that's uh, yeah same same approach to civilization as I have to my wardrobe. <laughs> oh man, um, so that's all. I thought that was all interesting information. That's all from 4E. Um, mechanically, you know, a little bit, a little bit dubious here and there about what's listed. I think, but uh, make make a good point about the gravity thing. Um, but otherwise, I think the lore. There's no reason why any of that lore couldn't be, you know, applied to 5E um, in one regard or another. Uh, for 3E, we have uh, the the creature, like by design, uh, would effectively devour the entire world, plants and all. Uh, however. After it wakes, it only remains active for one to two weeks and then returns to its slumber, which could be anywhere between five and 20 months. Um, that's now, not very long at all. Not very long at all. That's what I was thinking too. I was like, that's insane. Uh, so this thing is like wreaking havoc a lot in third edition. But every decade or so, uh, it would actually ravage the world for several months instead and then slumber for four to 16 years unless undis- unless disturbed. Um, and that, that's weird, weird range, five to 20 months, four to 16 years. Like, you know, I think it's something to play with. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go by those, those uh, predictions necessarily. Um, 
but it, you know, they're giving you a little bit of leeway here on how often it might rise. Imagine having to plan your week around knowing a Tarask is going to raise the earth. Oh, man. <laughs> I think that's probably why dwarves live underground, man. <laughs> Just like, forget it. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now, of course, the third edition, these origins are often debated in Muse as well. Uh, theories of it being an ancient weapon or creation of evil wizards often discussed, uh, and, but uh, usually outright dismissed as well, because there's literally no evidence to the claims. So um, they just, you know, kind of talk about it, uh, make some uh, uneducated guesses, I guess. Um, but that's it for 3E. Uh, and they got a couple couple interesting bullet points from 2E. Um there's a book called Practical Planetology uh, that claims that the possible origin of the Tarasque was one of a whole species of Tarasques uh, that originated from the planet Falx. And that is a planet with a high population of mind flayers. So making this an alien creature that was somehow um, transported to, uh, I guess, uh, Toril. Um, yeah. And then another book from second edition also called The Complete Psionics also claimed that the Tarasque was apparently unfazed by mental and psionic attacks, which sort of in its own way supports, you know, that first point. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I just I don't know. Um, and I, I want to ask, uh, would it would it have been Toril at this point or would it have been Aber? Oh, honestly, don't okay. know. Because at one point there, it was called Abertoral, like hyphenated, right? Well, it, like that. it's so. currently called Abertoral because the two existed okay. on on separate planes, and then eventually they merged mm. into one world. Right. Uh, well, oh, right. Okay. Um, but I mean, there's certainly no evidence or or like timeline given okay, gotcha. uh, that I found. I mean, this is mostly coming from the wiki as well. I didn't really dive into the uh, full extent of these books myself. Right. Right. But, that makes um, sense. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, possible. I mean, it's pretty terrifying to think that maybe there's a whole bunch of them somewhere else. <laughs> one's one's enough, right? But um, yeah, especially on a planet full of mind flares. Yeah, uh, and then the uh, the two E monstrous manual. Um, there was legends that told the upper carapace of the Tarasque was riddled with gems and could be treated and remo- removed with acid. And also dwarven blacksmiths were apparently able to forge metal from the underbelly of the Tarrasque, mixing it with the creature's blood and adamantine. Do they have a name for that metal? I not that I not that I saw, no. Again, didn't dive too far into yeah, it. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh but yeah, cool idea. Um the problem is like you know, t- hitting this Tarrasque at all, which we'll come to find out when we get to that stat block, is is hard enough. Um so actually getting pieces off of it to work with be quite the ordeal i think or drawing blood yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but uh that's more or less it for uh D lore um not a terribly complicated or convoluted creature um something very delightfully simple about it yeah i really like it um mm. very very godzilla inspired so far it feels slumbering <laughs> yeah. creature that exits the earth's <laughs> core to wreak havoc made up mm-hmm. and i mean the the fifth the specifically the 40 yard it even kind of looks like like a godzilla mixed with a draco rex or something yeah for sure um uh, i was actually thinking that myself uh, earlier um and i could tell you right now because we're going to get into the cultural lore that 
Godzilla must be the main inspiration for this creature because the real world stuff it is not. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, not at all. Um, it's a, it's strange. Uh, I have no idea why this creature is called the Tarasque at the end of the day. Um, and I, I honestly, during the research, came across no references to Godzilla. So the only <laughs> ones that I did have were me or you talking about it in our own time, but how it's like the Godzilla of D&D. Uh, that's literally I had to, all I had to go on. Um, that's crazy. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. l- l- let's let's dig into it. Tell, tell me about the cultural lore and then we can speculate. I mean, first of all, I didn't expect it to have any cultural lore. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I, thought, I thought this was probably going to be a unique uh, a D&D creature or, or, you know, at least unique to, like, you know, more modern fantasy and tabletop RPGs. But... Um, this uh, this is a, a Tarasque is a mythological creature from you guessed it Provence France. <laughs> I was gonna say imaginary beings, but uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we've got a French myth- myth- mythological creature on our hands. Um, Love it. I, I didn't think I didn't think they had them. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought they were just too obsessed with uh, fattening up ducks uh, to really consider uh, fantasy-like things. But I'm prepared um, to be corrected, but I think France was one of the first countries to ban uh, foie gras. Oh, was it really? The, the farming of foie gras. <laughs> Amazing. Because yeah. uh, it is super bad for ducks. <laughs> uh, I would just like to take a small moment and mention that, uh, speaking of uh, French uh, mythological creatures, a friend of mine way back when, when I was in, in like middle school, High school, we used to play a lot of video games together. His name is Brody. And uh, he would uh, try to convince me all of the time uh, uh, about uh, fake lore. So uh, he uh, told me that uh, uh, Quetzalcoatl was a Mexican god, uh, which, you know, right, for a right. kid, not not far off the truth. <laughs> but he also tried to tell me that uh, Leviathan was actually a French god called the Leviton. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm not – I'm prepared – to be corrected, but I I would have been under the impression that Basilisk was was French. Um, Ooh, you might not be wrong on that one. Yeah. Also, gargoyles are a hundred percent French. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, um, uh, I I, th- I don't know if I have a note in here or not, but I'll I'll cover it. There is a, a very loose and slight connection to that. Um, the gargui. But basically, uh, yeah, the, to the gargui. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so basically. Uh, a Tarask, and in this case it's spelt with one R, um, is mentioned in a book called Golden League by Jacobus du Voragine. Uh, it's a collection of hagi- hagiographies, which are biographies uh, of saints or ecclesiastical leaders. I actually knew that, and, believe it or not. <laughs> okay, well, you go. I, I mean, the Golden League was w- widely read in the late medieval period in the 13th century, and actually over a thousand manuscripts of it have survived, which I think is... Pretty impressive yeah. for a 13th century book. Uh, so, um, quick quick side tangent. I know we're trying to keep these mm, minimal, but um, hagiographies, and I believe the Golden League is mentioned by name in uh, the early, I want to say 1920s book by Robertson Davy called Fifth Business, uh, where the main character is actually a hagiologist after he survives uh, being shot in World War One. No kidding. All right. One of my favorite books. Uh, the Golden League is also a, a CD secret society in the Pathfinder universe. That's cool. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> I have no idea if it has any connection to that, but there it is. Um, so in the in the real world lore, they are basically – we're looking at another chimeric kind of creature. A lion-like head, a body protected by turtle-like carapaces, six feet 
with bear-like claws and a scaly tail. That doesn't sound like this at all. It doesn't sound like it at all. Uh, but also, in the town that is now known as Terrascon, uh, but once was called Nerluk, uh, meaning black place, it was described as a dragon, half animal, half fish, thicker than an ox, longer than a horse, and sword-like sharp uh, teeth as sharp as horns. Um, it almost sounds like they're describing an alligator or something, um, or a crocodile. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if that really works that at that time uh, in a geographical sense. Would they, would they be seeing that creature up in that area of the world? Um, um, well, large lizards, for sure. Um, yeah. This is, sorry, we're still talking about France, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, European lion Almost was like, a thing at that point. Like, what, what do yeah. I know about giant lizards? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got crocodiles, uh, you know, down, uh, you know, in the, down the Nile in, in that area of the world, which is like not exactly close, but, you know, almost maybe one was brought up and, you know, kind of uh, survived in some waters or something like that. But essentially, like, uh, it was believed then that it had come from Galatia or Gaul. And it was thought to be a crossbreed between the ancient Leviathan and the Bonacon, which was a bull-like creature with inward curving horns and a horse's mane. Uh, and this particular creature has loads of name variations. So that's just the one I picked because I think the, that was the main one on the wiki page okay, for it. Cool. Um, so surprise, surprise, loads of weird name variations in that one. Uh, and basically, it also the Tarasque appears also, and I think probably within the Golden League book, uh, in a story about Saint Martha of Bethany. And Saint Martha was a biblical figure appearing in the Gospels of Luke and John, and she was basically the sister of Lazarus and was witness to his resurrection by Jesus. Um, and somewhere along the line, I don't, I, I'm not up on my European uh, Christian history, not going to lie, but uh, somewhere along the line, she was a saint and. Uh, it was known in this instance for uh, being a creature that flung dung at its people and causing burns, the Tarasque. Um, and the town sought St. Martha's help. Um, and when she did, when she found it, she found it in the act of devouring a man. And she tamed it by holding up a cross and sprinkling holy water on it and then tying uh, a, her sash around its neck. And then she led it to the village where they stoned and speared it to death. Yeah. So. Okay. I mean, she used the vampire <laughs> tricks on it and then leashed it. I, okay. Sure. Yeah. And uh, here's a little piece of artwork for you in the Discord. What do you say, God? St. Martha uh, with a little rope tied around this thing, pulling out of a cave while it's eating a man and it's being stabbed. <laughs> They're getting it all in one go right. in this, in this, this image. This looks a lot like a basilisk <laughs> to me. Um it's, right. it's much more yeah, doesn't it? it's much more serpentine and squat. Yep, for sure. I mean it's still a sizable creature, but we're not talking gargantuan here. Yeah. Um, I think you might be right. I think this might just be an alligator that she just sprinkled it, snows with holy water, shut <laughs> yeah. across, and then le- got it, snuck up behind it and <laughs> yeah. leashed it. It's just blind threw some like uh, water in its eyes and blinded it for a sec. <laughs> um there's another picture there uh of uh a statue that's in Tarascon outside of uh, a castle. That I like. Um, Why does it look like, like that? Yeah, th- this is the more like sort of modern uh, imagery and depiction. Okay, uh, it's uh, it's very much got that turtle like shell. Yeah. It's got that lion like face. Listeners, uh, imagine the body of Gamera and the head of a, an androsphinx. 
<laughs> and there's another one, the fiber fiberglass uh, uh, structure one. That is pure nightmare um, fuel. Does it have a mustache? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like it does have a mustache. Just maybe it's upper lip, though. It's got like human like teeth, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, and there, there are like a various like festivals um, that are held and uh, have been held uh, uh, as early as the 14th century around the creature, where like these str- uh, things like that, like uh, floats and like uh, fiberglass structures stuff, are like paraded through the streets and dances are done and stuff like that. Um, I'm not sure if they really happen now, but they, they've definitely gone through like 19th and 20th centuries to some point. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure and, they're not um, happening right now, but. <laughs> Probably not at this moment. Um, uh, but that's more or less it. Uh, other than that, a couple fun facts. I, this uh, creature actually did appear on some heraldry uh, in and around the time of these uh, um, uh, these stories. And uh, it was uh, um not only described as being a hexaped, but also having poison breath at some point as well. Okay. And uh, so these sort of effigies uh, are brought into uh, festivals and uh, sort of paraded through the streets. And there was also a French uh, military 20-millimeter uh, anti-aircraft gun called a Tarasque. Oh, no way. I guess that hmm. would have been the um, the French answer to the, um, the flat cannon, I guess. Sure thing. Uh um, huh. I would know basically nothing about weaponry, but then it would explain the D and D Tarasque being uh, uh, anti-aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably where it's from. Yeah, maybe it's maybe its horns are actually just big guns. Uh it it would have to be a lot like a twenty millimeter anti-aircraft gun is huge. Yeah, is it? <laughs> this is the kind of gun that comes with its own chair. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, okay, one of those yeah, guys. <laughs> yeah, like this is this is a it. fucking cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, on like a pivot swivet that you sit in, like it, it, it probably would have taken like eight or ten men to to fucking man one of these things, like like yeah. a ballista, <laughs> crazy, but, but bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, here we are. Like you know, there's not much to share between the lores. You can obviously see now why Godzilla didn't really come up. Um, you know, when you were, we're talking about inspiration for the D and D creature uh, based on the real world lore, uh, we've got like the shell on its back and that's about it yeah the, i mean um, this is a like kind of a lot more gamera like mm-hmm. um gamera is smaller it's it's a bitey turtle it um it has gas that shoots out of its turtle holes to propel it through the air um, yeah <laughs> i think gamera has fire breath it's been a long time since i've seen a gamera movie listeners i i just I, I've, been, I've been working my way through godzilla um <laughs> Oh man, I haven't seen I haven't seen them since I was a kid. Any of them, but I'm like, I think I'm I just just about to start the um, uh, Godzilla 2016. It's the Requiem where they kill the Godzilla from the American Godzilla movies to remove it from mm-hmm. Godzilla canon. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you should listen to the uh, There's an Imaginary Worlds podcast episode on Godzilla. It's really really cool. Okay, sweet. I love yeah. I love the Godzilla movies. They're so fun. Yeah, um, yeah. That's there. There's a lot there that's very similar to what we're looking at, and a lot that's very, very mm-hmm. different. Um, yeah. Fun fact: up until now, you said you're done. I was a hundred percent convinced you were going to tell me the Tarasque was the elder elemental for Earth. Um, oh yeah, no, nope, not at I all. Just opened Morning Canyon's Tome of Foes, and it is something called the Zartan. 
<laughs> ah, Zartan. Um, yeah, definitely nothing to do with that at all. Um, basically, uh, there's one important thing to note before we get into the mechanics. And this is uh, from the Dungeon Master's Guide. I think page 10 or 11. And it's a little sidebar uh, where it kind of discusses a couple levels of like gods and stuff. And basically under the list of quasi-deities, they are said to have divine origin, but they don't hear or answer prayers, uh, grant spells to clerics, or control aspects of moral life. They are still immensely powerful beings, and in theory they could ascend to godhood if they amassed enough worshippers. Quasi-deities fall into three subcategories – one, uh, demi- demigods, titans, and vestiges. The Tarrasque is a titan. Okay. So it's kind of a quasi-deity, essentially. And titans are divine creations of deities. And they might be birthed from the union of two deities, manufactured on a divine forge, born from the blood spilled by a god, or otherwise brought about through divine will or substance. So this is all like directly from the DMG. Um, and this is important to note because um, this is like the one. This is the first time, at least, that we've we've covered a stat block where uh, the actual creature size is, is gargantuan, and in parentheses next to it, it says Titan. And I just I had to find out why it said that. Yeah, and there it is. Okay, I like that a lot. the The idea that you could have like a cult uh, uh, to the Tarrasque, and their their goal was to ascend it to godhood for some unknown reason, like. So it would raise yeah. the earth again, I guess. That'd be really cool. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. Um, yeah, I like that idea. Let's let's get this crazy machine. Uh, maybe if we, maybe if we send it ascend it to godhood, if we get it ascended, um, it'll stop. Maybe it'll have more of a mind of its own. Oh. if we can give it the power to have it. Yeah, maybe that's a good way to stop it from just kicking our asses all the time. <laughs> or maybe it, it just won't exist on the material plane anymore. It'll exist in you know Mount Celestia. Right. They make it a sense so it raises Mount Celestia or something. Yeah, that'll be another plane's problem. Yeah. <laughs> Take this, Borderlands. Uh, uh, so with that. I don't normally drink this early, but this is this is yeah. I mean, we've been we've been we've been recording after ten o'clock uh, at night on Saturdays a lot lately, and today it's a it's a noon on a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I have so much more energy. I can feel it. Like, yeah, me too. <laughs> I was just finished a pot a pot of uh, coffee and just yep, feeling yeah. good. Sun's shining. Got my dinner in the slow cooker. Yeah, me too. <laughs> What are you making? Uh, I'm making a black bean chili. Oh, cool! I got some. I got some chicken thighs uh, roiling in some uh, oyster sauce and soy sauce and honey and uh, sambal and all that stuff. I love oyster sauce so much. Mm. Yeah, throw some broccoli and beans in there later. Ooh, nice. Nice. but with that, uh, I will drink uh, a lovely blackmail Northwest Stout for Strange Fellows. So I have a confession to make. Okay. Um, I drank my last blackmail last night while we were playing Starfinder. Oh, um, yeah. So today I am drinking a fat tug at 12.30 in the afternoon, which is a terrible idea. <laughs> uh, but it's the only beer we have left in the house. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Fat tug. So I've, I've got a nap scheduled later. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, so you're the patron state of naps today, then. <laughs> well, I'm letting you know because you are the patron state of napping. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, you have my blessings, son. <laughs> Thank you. Make it, make it a good <laughs> go, one. go, 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 nap and, and be merry. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, lovely. All right. Um, okay. Uh, I guess I, there was that one time I didn't uh, have uh, the blackmail, which I it turns it was in the back of my fridge. So yeah, I, I have one now. Now you've got one. Yeah, now we're even. That's fair. We're all good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if Strange Fellows would sponsor us, this wouldn't be an issue. This would not be an issue, yeah. <laughs> we should probably stop demanding uh, free delivery, though, at the same time. I'd go so pick it up. Probably, that's four beers four beers every two weeks? <laughs> like, that seems worth it for the yeah, you totally. know, 70 or 80 people who listen to this show every now and again. I'll cycle, I'll cycle down the road. No yeah. big deal. Um, all right. Tell me sure. how I would use one of these things mechanically. Oh, man. Uh, it's like this is going to be interesting. In. It's going to be kind of tough uh, because it's so difficult to uh, gauge how to approach this creature because, you know, we have both have seldom, you know, found ourselves in a situation where you, uh, you're even uh, running or facing up against a CR20 creature. Uh, um, this is, well, um, seldom, I'm saying. Not like, you know. Well, uh, okay. Like, how, how often do you do it? <laughs> right. Well, spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. I have recently prepped a Tarask. Oh, have you? So, well, that's interesting because <laughs> this creature is a CR thirty. Yeah, yeah. That's so r- right at the gate. Like uh, you know, I I, so, I don't think I don't think a party can just take this creature on. I, you have to have other. I'm not. Factors, I'm not saying anymore armies. for fear of spoilers. A rhyme of yeah. the frost maiden, but I have recently okay. <laughs> prepped a Tarask. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, it's a hell of a, uh, hell of a creature. I, CR, CR 30, um. I'm really surprised you didn't come across ahead. that in your research. Uh, no, no. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I, I mostly just, uh, um, peruse the wiki for, especially for references from older editions. Right. And I just stick with what's in the monster manual. I, I try to avoid, unless we discuss sort of otherwise, like we do dinosaurs, try to avoid like uh, adventure um, based lore, I guess. Yeah, fair. Um, so yeah, there, hmm. there, I, I don't know if it's, I don't want to say anymore. I don't want to say anymore. It's not. Then don't. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I'm sure we have people listening that are currently playing uh, around the Foster Maiden. So, um, we, uh, so we get the Trask CR 30. It's got a 676 HP, or you can roll that at a 33 D20 plus 330. That's so many D20. Uh, <laughs> so many D20. Uh, it's got an AC of 25 natural armor. Um, and again, gargantuan. This puts it at a 20 by 20 square pawn. Essentially, on your board, um, so that's uh, you'd have to have an awfully large map to accommodate eight, this thing if you were doing it in, in your living room. It's eight five foot squares, is that right? Eight by eight. Uh, yes. Wow. Um, it is of course unaligned and uh, has a speed of forty feet. That's so slow. I think in five foot steps. Yeah, but 40 it's also feet. it just covers so much. Territory already, right? So I always think of like speed. I'm like, how fast is it moving to get to his destination? But also, like, you know, can you really get away from it? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you kind of can't. You know, you can you can move your thirty, and it's just going to creep up on you again because it's so large. That's fair. Yeah. Um, 
so this thing's got strength of 30. That's giving it a plus 10. And a con of 30 with a plus 10. Everything else is very middling. Dex, Wiz, and, and, and Charisma are all 11. And Intelligence is very low at 3 with a minus 4. Okay, um, so it's regular beast intelligence. Basically, yeah. Um, very in line with the, the dinosaurs, in fact. Um, and uh, it's got a couple boosts of saving throws for uh, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma specifically because those stats are low already, I guess. Uh, they get a boost on the on the saving throws for that, so it's already bulking that up. Yeah. And then um, it is straight up immune to fire and poison and bludgeoning, piercing, and, and slashing from non-magical weapons. Um, Makes sense. Immune. No resistances at all. And uh, immune to conditions of charmed, frightened, paralyzed, and poisoned. And it has blind sight 120 feet. Okay. I like that. Uh, so, all above board, more or less, for a creature like this. Yeah. I mean, if you're fighting a CR 30 creature and you don't all have magic weapons, like, just get the fuck out of there. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, it's bad. It's bad. Um, so... Everything's, uh, you know, more or less sensible there. Uh, we look at the abilities it has. It has legendary resistance three times a day. I just wrote yawn. So I'm so sick of looking at it. Yeah. Um, but there it is. It's going to just choose to succeed three times a day on a saving throw. Uh, it's got magic resistance, so it's already got advantage on saving throws against magic and spells. Uh, and then it also has uh, the siege monster uh, attribute, which it means it does double damage to objects and structures. Okay. Uh, and then the real kicker here is the reflective carapace. Um, so anytime the Tarask is targeted by a magic missile spell, a line spell, or a spell that requires a range attack roll, roll a d6. On one to five, the Tarask is unaffected. On a six, the Tarask is unaffected, and the effect is reflected back at the caster as though it originated from the Tarask, turning the caster into the target. What? So it is effectively immune to magic missile, line spells, and spells with a ranged attack rolls. That's insane. <laughs> effectively immune, also possibly just shooting them back at you. It's insane. Um, so you have to, what, touch spell, um, area of effect spells, but not make sure they're not lying. Yeah, you can't target um, it. You essentially have to do... Uh, a melee touch attack uh, with a spell or or a, a limited number of uh, spells that require saving throw as opposed to an attack roll. Wow. Um, that's You're severely limited in that regard. Um, I wouldn't say severely, but you're definitely like... I mean, I guess it would probably depend on your build and, and what, what uh, sort of caster type you are. Yeah, so um, any ray spell... Um, is, is is out. Ray anything with Ray or Bolt in the name is is gone. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> ray of Frost, Scorching Ray, Lightning Bolts, just like no bueno. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, uh, that's it for the abilities, and we'll get into the uh, actual attacks. I feel like that's probably um, enough for being honest. <laughs> yeah, I'd say <laughs> uh, I've just given him uh, the ability to just not take damage. Essentially, yeah. um, almost almost across the board here. Um, the uh, it's got multi attack. Um, it can use its uh, frightful presence, which we'll get to uh, in this uh, if in this multi attack if it chooses. A and after it does that, it then makes five attacks: one with its bite, two with its claws, one with its horns, one with its tail, and it can use its swallow instead of the bite if it chooses. Okay. Um, so we'll go ahead and just cover the three uh, most mundane ones. Claw and horns are both 19, uh, claw horns and tail, sorry, are all plus 19 to hit. 
Um, horns is a 10 foot reach, claws a 15 foot reach, and the tail is a 20 foot reach. Um, and we're looking at uh, claws at 48 plus 10 slashing, horns at 410 plus 10 piercing, and the tail is 46 plus 10 bludgeoning. Uh, and if the creature is uh, uh, doesn't succeed a DC 20 strength saving throw, they're knocked prone by the tail. That's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Right. Uh, but bear in mind, these are all just happening. These are all happening in one one go, right? Yeah, so that's, yeah, yeah, for sure. That's two claws, one horns, one tail, and then a bite, which of course is also a plus 90 to hit, 10 foot reach. 4d12 plus 10 piercing. If a target, uh, if, it, if it's the target is hit, that is then if, uh, automatically grappled. Escape DC of 20. And uh, while, of course, you're grappled, you are restrained and the Tarrasque can't bite another target. However, it can use Swallow instead. Right. Uh, so on the next turn, if you don't break free, it can basically still makes the bite attack doing damage again. Uh, if you're larger, smaller uh, and grappled, uh, you basically can automatically get Swallowed. And you are blinded and restrained inside, total cover against you, and uh, attacks and other effects, of course, that or, uh, originate from outside the Tarrasque. And then you take an additional 16d6 acid damage whilst inside. Okay. Um, however, this is where uh, sort of discovered this. We talked about your, um, your uh, homebrew stat block for dinosaurs. If a Tarrasque takes 60 damage or more on a single turn, uh, from the creature inside of it, the Tarrasque must exceed a DC 20 constitution saving throw at the end of that turn or regurgitate all swallowed creatures. That is so much uh, worse than the Mosasaur homebrew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which, uh, of course, when they, they come out, they're regurgitated, they fall prone in a space 10 feet uh, uh, from the Tarrasque. Uh, the Tarrasque dies, a swallowed creature is no longer restrained by it and can escape the corpse by using 30 feet of movement and exiting prone. Right. Um, so is this where you got the inspiration for that Mosasaur homebrew? Uh, I mean, I must have. I, I must have read it at some point, and because like that's where I I remember really like, oh, it seems like it would work. That would work. And then I read yeah. this. I was like, I must have just like forgot it was in this stat locker. It's probably in another one too. It might be an under purple worm even. Oh um, yeah, yeah, fair. Yeah, but uh, so uh, yeah, I must have just had a the, had it in the back of my head, uh, but not not quite realized it. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, so it, it can start this multi-attack with its frightful presence. So each creature within 120 feet of it and is aware of it must exceed a DC 17 wisdom saving throw or be frightened for a minute. A creature can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns uh, with disadvantage if the Tarrasque is within line of sight, ending the effect uh, if it's successful. Of course, uh, it being in line of sight is very likely to remain the case. Um, so you can keep rolling that, but you're at disadvantage most of the time. Um uh, and no matter what, if the creature is or if the creature is successful, um, it becomes immune to the frightful presence for 24 hours. So there is that. <laughs> it's it's not much, but it's something. Um, yeah, I um, I don't think a minute is uh, is that long when you're dealing with creatures like this. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I have to imagine that the scale of this fight is huge. Again, I don't think it's. I don't think it's a party of four or five. Like you, you've got to have an army at your back. You probably have siege machines that are that are you know that are, that probably have to be blessed with magic because it's going to be immune to the damage. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, that's how I picture it. It's this is a siege monster, so it's going to like wreck those machines as well. But I, th- to me, it seems like they're they're necessary in order to take something like this down. Like you have to have an army. Well, 
uh, maybe against this I mean, thing. it doesn't have a whole lot of HP, like not uh, almost seven hundred six and three quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to do sixty damage on one round inside of it, like that's really only what uh, 11, 12 rounds of doing sixty mm-hmm. damage as one creature to take this thing down. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think the idea is that if it, if it bites one and then swallows it and bites another and swallows it, now it's got a higher chance of regurgitating because it's, you know, I have two creatures inside, right? you know, that have to amount to 60 damage. That makes more sense. In one round. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, the only other thing is that this creature does have legendary actions. Uh, so the it's the usual uh, three actions per round, uh, and it happens after... Uh, another uh, target in the party has uh, acted, and so it can throw out a claw or a tail attack as one. Well, it can move half of its speed, um, or uh, two of those reactions. It can use uh, chomp, which is a bite or swallow. Wow! So that's ruthless. it can, it, yeah, it can bite and swallow things pretty fast, at, um, essentially, and then and then make a move on it. Yep. <laughs> so uh, uh, pretty pretty terrifying all around. Uh, not not a complicated stat block, but still scary. And I kind of like that. Yeah, I like I like how simple it is. Um, there, there's a lot here, and this is I I I like you max out at twentieth level in five years. That right? Yeah. Like I don't know if this is a winnable encounter for a just a party. It, it, it can't be. I don't think it. I don't think it can be at all. I think you'd have to be extraordinarily lucky. You'd have to have hit, you're hitting the. I mean, you're hitting with the the right spells. You're nailing all of your rolls. You're doing almost max damage every time. Um, this thing is somehow missing you uh, with its plus nineteen to hit. You know, it's just like <laughs> like you're at the mercy of the dice if you're just a party. I just don't. I don't think it's possible. Yeah. Um. Which is interesting, because I mean, I I don't believe in a no-win scenario. Um, mm-hmm. I, I very much have the same philosophies as Captain Kirk when it comes to D&D. Uh, <laughs> and this kind of seems like the Kobayashi Maru. So uh, what I want out of our listeners more than anything is if you guys can come up with a strategy for four PCs, um, you know, classes or whatever, uh, and to take this thing down. Let me know what classes they are and what what the strategy is. I would really really mm. be interested. Yeah, it would be would be uh, an interesting thing. Um, uh, there's a part of me that just like you, you have to have magic weapons and you got to get into melee. Like you don't have much of a choice. I feel like and um, and uh, you know it's you know I'm always thinking paladins. You know smites. Uh, you're gonna get some heavy damage in um, if you're using the right ones, right? Uh, and you have the right build. But um, my mind kind of goes the other uh, way, to be honest with you. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, like banish wouldn't work because it's it's a a material plane creature. Um, mm-hmm. But like, maybe drop a wish and just wish it away. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Uh, the the cost of wish is going to be worth it in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. or like a. I just I only imagine it as a culminating. You know, in order to make it a a, <clears throat> a winnable scenario. <clears throat> excuse me. In order to make it a winnable scenario, you've really got 
uh, some world uh, building to do, I think. And I, I, I just imagine, you know, dwarven siege armies backing up, you know, uh, the elves have come out to face off against this thing, as well as you know humans, you know yeah. working together with everybody. You're just getting that like sort of classic trope of all the races coming together to take on this one titanic uh, task, if you will, or at least um, have like uh, have a group of players who aren't opposed to hiring other people to do their dirty work. Uh, yeah, right. And you can put the players in like a, a, a sort of an important uh, po- uh, you know spot in this in this fight in this this grand. Uh, arena of combat um, to take this thing down. You know, maybe they're leaders of the army, and uh, I just I have a hard time imagining them even really using much of their own actual skills. It'd be more of like a skill challenge for me. But like, okay, you need to like direct these portions of the army, and then you know, basically instead of you swinging your sword, you're going to be launching that uh, trebuchet. You know, um, right. stuff like that. So maybe and then maybe maybe, this is an maybe you get in there for Matt Coville's next book, Kingdoms and Warfare. There you go. Yeah, like that would be amazing. Actual, yeah, um, like proper D and D encounter. Maybe maybe there needs to be a different rule set for encountering something like this. Absolutely. And then you know, there's no reason why you couldn't give the uh, the players the opportunity to get in there at the at the end as well, and and like deliver that finishing blow firsthand. But you know, just for the epicness of it. But uh, yeah, I, I picture the scale on this just so huge, uh, and required to be that. Um, there's also the, uh, some homebrew stuff out there that, uh, brings levels, uh, from 20 to 30 though. So yeah, that's fair. <laughs> you always give that a go. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's Tarask. Uh, I don't really have anything else. Um, I think there was, uh, one story that I heard. I cannot for life me figure out who told it to me. I've asked around to a number of people and no one knows the story. I don't know where it came from. But essentially, it was uh, that this low-level group, uh, low-ish level group of players were in a town that was, like, highly powered by magic in all these ways. Like, I think even the street lamps were, you know, uh, powered by magic and stuff. And, and the um, they went through some crazy, you know, scheme and uh, managed to get a massive dispel magic off like that went citywide, caused a citywide blackout. But the DM had established in the lore that the Tarrasque was slumbering, but it had been put to sleep. Um, and uh, and it was trapped by magical tethers beneath the city. And the players accidentally undid them. <laughs> okay. And he basically had no choice but to have the Tarrasque come up and, and it like totally shifted his whole uh, campaign. Um, and, uh, it was like, okay, now, now we're, now we're basically have to deal with, you know, this tyrant ravaging the world. Um, and that's, that's now the narrative. He's <laughs> 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 just kicking himself for, for, for planning that. He's like, oh, it'd be really clever. It'd be a secret under the city that people forgot about. And boom, dispel magic. And it was so well rolled and so wide, this dispel magic that, uh, he didn't have much of a choice. He didn't feel like <laughs> crazy. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if any of our listeners out there listen to um, Titans of Altera. It's the uh, it's an offshoot uh, actual play podcast of um, Sneak Attack, the now defunct actual play D anD D, and then Homebrew oh, yeah. uh, System podcast. Uh, but in that series, uh, each player has their own um, 
Megazord, Zoid, Gundam type thing that they get into. Uh, and then okay. fight these giant monsters and, and hold off like Pacific Rim, the city at bay. Uh, it's a really, really neat um, idea. And I wonder if a Tarrasque will make an appearance in that. Most of his creatures are homebrew, but uh, it'd be, it, it, it would be a really cool. Josh, if you're listening, <laughs> throw in a Tarrasque <laughs> next season. Yeah, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Uh, and I, I just double checked that the, there's a book, the book called Epic Legacy by 2C Gaming um, is the one that uh, extends you from 20 level 20 to level 30. Okay, cool. Uh, apparently, it's pretty wild. Uh, Dan, uh, uh, Danny Greyhood, who helped us design the logo, he messaged me the other day. Um, he's reached level 20 and his cleric, and uh, and his uh, his DM is introducing that homebrew book, so they're going to going to 30. That's awesome. Good for them. And he could basically ascend to Godhood through it, which is pretty crazy. I mean that's that's what my Pathfinder character wants, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'd say we uh, we'll we'll put that in the uh, reading list. Epic Legacy. Yeah, and we'll throw um, in Titans of Altera as well because I think it, it's it's worth a listen. It's a good show. They they deserve all the love. Yeah, sweet, cool. Um, but yeah, anything else uh, for you on the old Tarask? I I can't talk about it honestly. Like it's <laughs> I I probably shouldn't have even mentioned it. Um, it's fine. Uh, when, when, and if it does come into play, maybe we'll just have a little Patreon exclusive uh, chat about it. It's actually a pretty big uh, if, I think. Um, yeah. But knowing you guys, it's, it's a when. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, if it, if it comes up, we'll, we'll, we'll be sure to have a little sidebar. Yeah. A little little, little Patreon, uh, Dungeon Master decompress. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Love it. Uh, okay, well, what about you, listeners? Any experience with Tarasks out there? If anybody's got a solid four-party makeup, I want to hear about it. Um, if it's good and I like it and I think it's plausible, you know what? You may even win a set of dice. Um, if you like what we do or you want to request a creature or you just want a handwritten thank you letter or access to the notes that we provide these shows or we produce these shows from, uh, you can find all that stuff on patreon.com backslash encounter this. If you want little tidbits of information, you can find us on Twitter at EncounterPod, on Facebook.com backslash EncounterPod if you still use that platform, or if you want to see these show notes, if you want to see the images of the Tarrasque from 5e or the um, taxidermy and periotone from last episode, you can find us on Instagram.com <laughs> backslash Encounter.pod. And if you want to check out our Gargoyles episode or any of our old back catalog, you can find that on the web at EncounterThis.ca. Big thank you guys for listening as always, and we will see you in two weeks with our next episode. See you, friends.